Listener Production. When you hear the word slavery, you might get images in your head of pre-Civil War America, but it's actually happening right now, even here in 21st century Australia. In today's briefing, Katrina's looking at modern day slavery and the victims who are hiding in plain sight. So you'll find out how you can spot a situation where slavery might be taking place here in Australia and what you should do if you suspect it's going on. That is our briefing topic right after the headlines. Tom Tilly and Antoinette with you for today's big news. It is Monday, the 21st of August. We begin today with the football and Spain are the Women's World Cup champions for the first time, beating England 1-0 in front of a sellout crowd of more than 75,000 people in Sydney overnight. The Lionesses couldn't back up their win over the Matildas in the semis. Both sides had several chances, but it was the Spanish side who capitalised after half an hour. Carmona's providing the overlap. Here she comes. 1-0 Spain. Yeah, that was a great goal. Who are you going for, Antoinette? Oh, absolutely, Spain. Um, simply because I just wanted revenge over the Lionesses because I'm still, I still cannot accept the Matildas' defeat. <laughs> yeah, well, the backstory with the Spanish team was really interesting. That they had that big player revolt yeah. last year. That uh, basically twelve of their best players didn't come back after that revolt, and they still won. Yeah, I know. This is really fascinating. So this has been going on for over a year. So 15 of their players at the time, they sent the the Spanish Football Federation a letter and essentially complaining about lack of professionalism, poor training facilities. Um, And then despite that, and despite the fact that 12 of those 15 players weren't on the field last night, they were still able to win, which makes me question, how seriously is their grievance going to be taken? Like their concerns over poor facilities, lack of training, a bit of a biffo with the coach when they were still able to take out the World Cup. Yeah, I I guess it says there's a lot of depth in their squad. Um, The other sort of small controversy on the sideline of the final was the fact that Prince William didn't make the trip out. Seems to be a lot of anger for that. And he didn't seem to have a, a really important sort of, um, you know, calendar clash. Everyone thinks that the reason was he didn't want to make the the flight for such a short time. So, you know, essentially environmental reasons, but that didn't stop the Queen of Spain being there for the match. And Wallaroos players have called out Rugby Australia for a lack of investment and promotion for women's rugby. So almost every current Wallaroos player posted the same letter to Rugby Australia on social media saying, you told us flying anything above economy was too costly. Then you flew the Wallabies business class on a trip shorter than ours. And it also said, and you told us there wasn't enough money to keep the men in the game, let alone us. Then you paid $5 million for an NRL player. So yeah, they really fired up Mm. the Wallaroos. So the Wallabies have just flown to France for the Men's Rugby World Cup, which is a huge tournament. And yeah, they flew business class, as you'd expect. Those blokes are massive and they've got a big tournament to play. But it sounds like the Wallaroos have had to fly economy. And the protest seems to have been also sparked by the fact that some of the WAGs were flown to Sydney uh, for Rugby Australia last week to spend time with their partners, but that isn't afforded to the Wallaroos players. And I think it is it is important timing because this is a time when women's sport is shining in Australia and it's clear that the reality isn't the same for the Wallaroos. And the Wallaroos start, Georgie Fredericks commented um, on Rugby Australia's post that the WAGs are getting more funded than the Wallaroos team. 
So I don't know. I think it's I think it's an important time when we're celebrating women's sport in Australia to realise that a lot of the codes are not doing anywhere near as well as the Matildas when it comes to resources. And Australia's population is expected to grow at its slowest rate since Federation. There is intergenerational report come out and we're getting some of the details from the ABS. And it's shown that over the next 40 years, our population is going to grow at 1.1% compared to 1.4% over the last 40 years. And it's migration that's going to make up half of the total population because our natural birth rate is declining. This means um, we're going to have a much bigger ageing population. So the number of people over the age of 65 is expected to double by 2060. And the number of over 85s is tipped to more than triple by the, the 2060s. These numbers sound pretty surprising, but it follows a trend that is echoed in other developed Western nations. That The more affluent and educated a nation becomes, you essentially have less children. Yeah. So yes, we're living longer, more years in good health, but because we're going to have such a big cohort of aged people, we really need to sort out our care economy. So, and these reports are really important for policy areas. Mm. Like, yes, the care economy, um, we have to sort out our slow and inefficient migration process. And of course, we're going to really, really need to focus on ensuring that we have more well-trained workers to meet that, that growing demand mm. for quality care over the next 40 years. But I don't know, Tom, whenever you talk about like getting lots of migrants in, people start freaking out. Like, And sometimes appropriately so, like, where are they going to live? And I can't afford a house. And what's this going to do to the cost of living crisis? Well, yeah, the balance has got to be struck between, I guess, doing it right. But clearly we're going to need a lot more migration to keep the economy or our standard of living at the same level it has been as our natural birth rate declines. So we need migrants. Um, we've got a lot of migrants coming in at the moment um, ever since the pandemic ended but we need to design our cities right so you know we keep up that standard of living and and live harmoniously and welcome these people absolutely and there was a review earlier this year that looked at our migration system and that was a government review and it said that the system was failing to retain the best and brightest international students and that just generally the migration system was inefficient, it wasn't fast, um, and in many ways was perceived to be unfair. So yeah, some huge policy work needed in housing supply, migration, and sorting out our care economy. All right, we're out of here. Katrina's got the briefing for you today, looking at modern slavery. It's a really shocking statistic. 41,000 people are estimated to be kept as slaves right here in Australia right now. And it usually comes down to people at a vulnerable moment in their lives who are exploited by the person they thought they could trust. That's what happened to Moi Turaga, a modern slavery survivor who shared his story with us on the briefing. He travelled to Australia as a teenager on the promise from a cousin that he could earn a good wage as a farm worker to help his mum and his siblings who were struggling financially back in Fiji. I left school at um, year 10 because dad had died when I was 13 and um, yeah, mum couldn't carry on the load. And when this promise comes through that, you know, to, to come to Australia and work and send money home and, and continue my education as well, so... Not to pay anything up front um, was, was probably the, the biggest thing that we didn't have to pay. We wouldn't come in and work. It was, you know, we, we paid it off, which we didn't really see that as any fault. You know, we, our story was an opportunity. 
He told us he was sent to a farm in country Victoria working dawn to dusk, just assuming the money he earned would be sent back home to Fiji. When he eventually spoke to his mum, she said she'd never received a single dollar. He told us of the devastation and why he then felt he couldn't leave. It's a cultural thing, you know, and it's also a family thing because it's a family member that, that brought us over here. The shame to be going home with nothing at all and then the shame to, to even rebel out of those situations that we were in. You know, that was, that was the biggest thing for us, which we find at the, you know, at the back end of the day that we have to run away from the situation where we were, and we did, because back then, you know, around the... 90s, there was no phones, there was no, no other media communication that we kept up, you know, not like now, you've got the social media all over the place, but, you know, we didn't know what was going on. Eventually, Moe was asked some questions by a lady at church who twigged something wasn't right. With her help, he built up the courage to run away and find paid work. The ability to send money home, you know, for the first time in that two and a half years, and, and ringing mum up and letting mum know that you know, I'm sending 400 bucks, you know, listen to her voice, being ecstatic, being happy. It's probably the, the, the first door knock on, on freedom for me, you know, listening to my mum, being happy about the money that I've sent, that, you know, she's be able to support my, my younger siblings on that uh, for their continuing education and stuff. That was slavery survivor Moe Turaga. Let's bring in Louise Burton now, who's the CEO of the Sisters of Charity Foundation, which helps victims of slavery here in Australia. Louise, how do we define modern slavery? What are the hallmarks? Yes, it's when someone is being owned by someone else or being exploited by a perpetrator. And unfortunately, it can be people close to the person who's actually the victim. So it can actually be, you know, particularly in relation to like um, forced marriage, it can be someone in a family, a relative. I think you would have read recently, they've seen a situation with students. They thought they were coming to Australia to embark upon our education system. And then they were actually forced into working to pay the person who'd actually trafficked them to Australia to pay off the fees that they'd encountered. Why is it so hard for the victims of slavery to escape their circumstances? The perpetrator often intimidates them. There's often that fear and they're being exploited. And the problem is also that many of them may be on visas. They're worried that if they come forward that their visa might be affected. Sometimes they've actually had their papers taken, like their passport, etc. So they're a very vulnerable person, but also knowing where to go. And I think this is great that we actually now the people don't actually have to go to the federal police. There, you know, they can go to Red Cross or the Salvation Army, etc. There are other intermediaries because some people are quite frightened of the law. You know, particularly if you're in a foreign country, you're not too sure of the um, nuances of the law, and so then they are frightened to come forward. But when you've got these intermediaries like the Salvation Army and Red Cross, then it means that people can come forward and talk to someone confidentially about their circumstance. So because I guess there's so much intimidation and fear and, and a lot of this would be done behind closed doors, how do we call it out? How do we as regular members of society, how, how can we spot this when it's happening? Are there some giveaways? Well, I don't know 
with the giveaways, but I think if you think that there's something that's not quite normal, and I remember, recall someone saying to me that even at their local cafe, they thought, you know, the actual workforce wasn't like a normal sort of workforce that they were used to seeing in a cafe. And it turned out that that, that was the circumstance, that these were people who were being trafficked, be, being underpaid, were not being housed correctly. We all know what is the normal way of life in Australia. We recognise human rights. And so, therefore, it's really, really important there's a greater level of, of awareness across all industries of this problem. And I think it's great now also because... Um, Major corporations have all embarked upon, you know, ensuring that they look at their supply chains and review them regularly. And they actually have to produce a modern slavery statement each year and report on it. So in industry, it's top of mind. It's really in the community that we need to create greater awareness. And I think if you were um, just talking to your friends, they would say to you, oh, I didn't realise it happened in Australia. It's keeping that conversation going so that it becomes a regular conversation. And what can we do if we suspect that there's something going on? Well, it's it's really important that you actually um, provide that person with support and actually, as I said, that there are those different providers. But in time, there will actually be a hotline that people independently can actually ring and report the situation. But, you know, the, some of the key organisations working in this area are Red Cross and the Salvation Army, and we're partnering with the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army have been working in this area for a long time, and they have what you call a safe house where they actually um, victims of modern slavery are actually housed and provided with wraparound services to help them through their trauma support. And then what the Sisters of Charity Foundation does is that we provide this unique transitional housing, which is, you know, it usually takes at least a year for a person to journey to their life of freedom and independence. And with this program, we actually provide rental assistance. We provide funds to um, for the bond, as well as providing them with white goods and a caseworker for one year so that that person is able to learn about their new community, gain confidence, ability to sort of manage their lives. Um, they'll be working. They then actually acquire a rental history during that year. So that gives them another form of independence. And then they can actually maintain that tenancy of the place that they're in, or they can go off and, and select to move somewhere else. That was Louise Burton from the Sisters of Charity Foundation and they've just done their Raise the Roof campaign to raise awareness about modern slavery and they also need to raise money. Louise told me it costs about $15,000 per person to support their journey to freedom. You can donate via their website, jump online and look up Sisters of Charity if this topic has spoken to you today. Listener.